0: you need a little bit of nasty don't you they're the little battles you need to win if Munster wanted to win this game he lives and breathes line out how did they pick themselves up from this
1: the Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and
0: Neave Briggs subscribe to the rugby channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now the goes short out to the right hand side ball sent in very very deep Could be a chance here for Ireland. Falls to Denise O'Sullivan. O'Sullivan on the right hand side. Pulls it back to the edge of the area. Shot comes in. Takes a deflection and it's into the back of the net. And the Republic of Ireland lead in Sweden. And it is Captain Fantastic, Katie McCabe, who has scored it. What a moment for the girls in green. They lead Sweden. By a goal to nil, and it is Katie McCabe from the edge of the area. The deflected shot. A huge, huge goal for Vera Powell's side just before half time. Sweden nil, Republic of Ireland won, Katie McCabe.
2: Right, 7.31 this morning. We're reflecting on a one-all draw for the Republic of Ireland in Gothenburg, and I'm delighted to say we can go to Gothenburg. Ashley O'Reilly and Julianne Russell are with us. Nathan's with us as well. Uh, Ashling. You've got a, an amazing... OK, sorry, we haven't got Ashling. Nathan, we um, we were talking in the build-up to this game. We were very concerned about what was going to happen. We thought we were going to get hammered, and then we didn't. It's one of those... There's like just a little bang of early big jack-off what's going on with the women's team at the moment.
0: <laughs> uh, there is. There's certainly a, a wave of momentum that's building behind this side and a, a confidence in this team that they can go and take on anybody. They're incredibly well-organised, very assured of their positions, and also brilliantly talented, like this is a team with players playing at a very high level. And you saw that last night, even though Sweden, 10 of their starting 11 are playing in Champions League teams. When Ireland got the ball to Denise O'Sullivan, and they got the ball to Katie Taylor, they were as good as anybody on that pitch. And they always did the right thing. Denise O'Sullivan, it's just a, such a shame Ireland couldn't get her into the game more often. She had three, three times really she got in decent possession, three times she was fouled. I absolutely clattered. They knew exactly how good Denise O'Sullivan was going to be. Yellow cards been thrown out. And to go away to Sweden, the first time in, what, 12 years, I think, since Sweden dropped points at home in a qualifier, I, they look at everybody as minnows. They are one of the countries who copped on to the benefits of women's football a long, long time ago, yeah. who get to every single World Cup, who will head to the European Championship with genuine aspirations of winning it. Uh, and they were put under pressure. Ireland, when they got in their half, created a lot. Yes, Sweden dominated the ball, as you would expect. But this was a performance that, firstly, would go a long way to getting Ireland to a playoff. But the confidence that they should take from this, that they're heading in the right direction, is absolutely huge.
2: The uh, Swedes are also banging on in the build-up about, so this is how you beat us, because we're so strong and so good. We can tell you how to beat us, and then you're not going to beat us. But then uh, it was 1-0 at time. It was 1-0 up until like the 70-whatever the minute. Um At the same time, there was definitely a a stereotypical traditional one-all draw away from home, back to the wall, final few moments where we were conceding free kicks right in front of our own goal with literally the last kick of the game. And you're like, this is also a part of our footballing history where heartbreak occurs in the 97th minute of a 94-minute game.
0: There's no greater Irish footballing tradition than a one-all draw away from home in a massive qualifier to just keep things rolling on and... uh Leave the final day of uh, of decision as far down the track as possible. But uh, this this was huge. Like this was from a team who have been in a you know tough place over the last couple of years. Who really should have qualified for the European Championship. Who the heartbreak of that has lingered for a long time, and I'm sure will resurface this summer when all the other teams, many of whom Ireland are better off, are heading to the finals in England to get results like this after the setback at home against Slovakia. Like, it's a massive, massive point gained, and shows that against these sort of teams, who so they want to be playing at a World Cup, they have a way of setting up, they have a defence, I thought the defence at times last like night where it's standing, Louise Quinn again, with all that experience, the ball was like a magnet to her for most of that second half.
2: It was interesting in the build-up to the game, Vera Powell was having a go at UEFA for the lack of games that the Republic of Ireland have had. Um, I do wonder if, uh, you know, there's a proxy there where UEFA is actually the FAI and there's actually now an opportunity for the FAI to organise more games at whatever level for them. You know, maybe it's not full international level, maybe it's not a full caps game, uh, but actually just making sure that the an available group as big a, an available group as possible. Sometimes with your players who are playing abroad, depending on what the time of the year is. Sometimes without those, but that there's like a a, a widening of the pool of available talent who are being put through the rigors and tactical discipline of what it is to play for Ireland under Veer Pow.
0: And that's what they had ahead of this game. They went to the Pinatar Cup. All of the reaction coming out of that from the players was, it was Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. Every single one of the friendlies that they played was based around how they would set up tactically against Sweden. And also getting players more experience. So Chloe Mustaki finally gets her Ireland debut in the Pinnatar Cup. And then comes on, first ever competitive start for Ireland last night and plays as well as she did. So you're right, more games is what Ireland need. And Virapau has taken on very difficult friendlies. It meant that when Ireland were coming in to the first game against Sweden, that they'd been on a tough run. They got that friendly victory against Australia, but they'd been on a long run without a win, which was a very brave decision to make, considering what had happened against Ukraine and how that must have done such damage damage to that group of players. The easy and obvious thing would have been, actually, let's get a few winnable games. Let's try and move past Ukraine. But actually, Vera Powell, the one thing she is always consistent on is trying to get players a consistent level. Not all of them are playing Champions League football like Katie McCabe are playing at a really high level in America like Denise Sullivan. So she needs as much exposure as possible for these players at international level in good quality friendlies. And it does feel as though she is getting the backing like it's still only five years since Emma Byrne had to lead this team to the verge of strike. It's it's not that long ago since this group were in a pretty dark place, but they have a big squad. I thought it was quite noticeable that this was a one-off fixture, but she had a massive squad. I think there was twenty-seven, twenty-eight players uh, in the squad at a time when you know there's always speculation around uh, even the men's squad and you know the forty forty-man squad of. Uh, these days is gone, that there is almost limits on the amount of players that you should be bringing in for financial reasons, how many you can get in the plane, how many you want to pay for hotels. So, to be able to bring in 27, 28 players, have them for a good 10 days, like they've had a long training camp out in Abbottstown, and have everybody in the exact same wavelength, they need much, much more of that. And I'd imagine during the summer, when there is that one qualifier against Georgia, that Vera Powell will be looking at another opportunity with other teams who haven't qualified for the Euros to go and play three or four more games and yeah. just ramp up the number of caps because it was incredible last night watching Sweden. A lot of their players were in their 30s, but they had three players with over 150 caps.
2: Yeah, and it makes a difference. It definitely makes a difference. Let's go to Gothenburg. Uh, Julianne Russell and Ashley O'Reilly are standing by. Ash, good morning to you. How are you?
3: Good morning,
2: Jura. How's it going? Your 3-1 prediction yesterday, I'm delighted to say, it was completely wrong.
3: I'm delighted too I'm absolutely delighted we actually spoke to Annie um, a little girl who was flown over for her seventh birthday and she said a one-all draw she actually said that yesterday to us when when Julianne asked her so yeah, she, she was on the money. It was just incredible, uh, an unbelievable atmosphere, especially after the game. It was funny to see both teams really celebrating and, and cheering and hugging each other, you know, because they, they were both so delighted with the result. And yeah, it was, just, it was just magic for Ireland. You could really see what it meant to the girls um, and to Vera after the game.
2: Julianne, put some context on it for us. Is this as good a performance as we've seen from Ireland?
4: Look, I think the performance from a defensive wise, it was magnificent. Um, like, they, for 90 minutes, they uh, were just so focused and really kept the game plan. Um, they, like, didn't make a step wrong, I suppose, then from an offensive or an offensive point of view, um, obviously, like the attackers, they don't want to be defending all game and, like, the likes of Heather Payne and Leanne Kernan up, up top, they want to be making runs and, and scoring goals. So I think from from an attack point of view it wouldn't have been the best performance, but definitely from a defensive point.
2: Can you see the the um the work that's being done on the on the training ground? Can you see that paying off in the patterns of play and just the strength that they have at the moment?
4: Yeah definitely like I think I suppose even from the, the set piece that Came from the goal um, with the with the short pass, so, um, from Katie to Megan Conley, but I, that looks like from the training ground. And um, obviously, Megan Conley has a great look at the ball, and um, it started from that. So um, I think the from a tactics point of view, it, it was um, it worked pretty really well, and um, I think that got us the draw.
2: I we had talked about the fact that it was going to be a full house and the crowd and all that kind of stuff, but it, you, I mean we could hear in the commentary there that it was uh, relatively quiet after Ireland scored. What was the atmosphere actually like? and it didn't what, if any impact did it have on our performance versus their performance?
3: it was it was incredible it really was um you know they had a lot of music and stuff playing beforehand people were up on, like on their feet dancing around before the game started and even me and Julianne just spoke after the game just at how it didn't really impact ireland whatsoever and that was something we had spoke about prior to the game like will it have an effect on the girls that there you know there's so many people there it's mostly sweden fans you know will will it have an effect on how they play and it 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 didn't seem to i don't know like yeah we thought it, it didn't really at all, um, which was which was amazing to see, you know. Um, but it was brilliant to have so many people in there. You know, over 12,000 fans was, was just incredible,
2: wasn't it? Uh, it just ratchets up, uh, like the attention ratchets up, the sponsorship ratchets up, the coverage ratchets up, the pressure as a result of that ratchets up. But what, what has happened as well, Julianne, is that the quality of the performance is getting better, that you're beginning to see a, a more mature team, a more capable team. And I guess the, the other part of this is we don't actually know how good they could be just yet because they're not finished.
4: Yeah, no, look, absolutely. It, it's a journey and, uh, like, as you can see from the results and the progress from the game to game is, is evident in the results. Um, Like, the, the girls are working so hard. Um, Like, the likes of most of the players are, are professional, so, like, they're really kind of stepping up to where the level is at. Obviously, Sweden, like, you can see they had so much, so much possession, and um, like their physicality, and just even like their patience on the ball. They are um, a, a level above us, but I think, like as I said, we're on that journey, so we just need to keep progressing and uh, keep
2: going. All right, let's hear from uh, Megan Connolly in the aftermath, in conversation with Ashley. Have a look
3: defensively how tough was it out there i just asked katie it was a dog fight and you fought to the very end yeah absolutely you know you don't get a second to kind of take a deep breath um they're constantly just relentless putting the ball in putting the ball in playing it wide switching it back like there's someone running on your shoulder your other shoulder so it's just a game of where we had to communicate you know for the whole 90 minutes um again everyone did that unbelievable same with Courtney Courtney in the back kept us in it in a few times um and just really kind of helped us in front of her um but yeah they were they, as I said they showed their quality for the goal but I think for us we we gave it everything um and deserved what we got
2: and uh, Nathan you might explain to us uh, what happens next in terms of the qualifying <laughs> this is a, another opportunity for you to <sighs> dazzle us with well, you, your
0: knowledge if you thought the nation's league was exciting if you thought the Nations League was exciting, the uh, playoffs for the Women's World Cup Finals are incredibly convoluted and complicated. So all the group winners qualified. We know Sweden, and uh, they were celebrating last night because they have now qualified for the World Cup. All of the second-place teams, the nine of them, go into a playoff, uh, the first of which will take place in October. So of those nine teams, three of them are going to be seeded, the top three teams. So these go on the amount of points you've accumulated during the group stage, it's still too early to figure out whether Ireland will be in the top three. If they win the remaining three games, they will have a decent opportunity and they definitely have an advantage in that Ireland are in a five-team group. For those in the six-team group, your matches against the minnow, the six-team, don't count. Or actually Ireland's victories against Georgia. So the 11 nil and whatever they can do in Georgia will count for this, which is a big advantage. So if you're not in the top three, you play a semi-final against one of the other teams. And then the winners of those three matches will play the top three seeded teams. And here's where it gets complicated. Only two of those three winners will qualify automatically. So, nine into two. The team that is third, and again, this all goes back to the points that you accumulate. So, the more points you can get so that point against Sweden, if you can win your final three matches, all of this continues to carry over. So, of the three final playoff winners the two with the top points total from the group stage qualify Whoa. automatically for the World Cup.
2: That is quite the ring. The wrinkle. other
0: team, the other team that are left over, they've got to go to Australia and New Zealand next February when 10 teams from around the world, from all the different confederations, will go to a final playoff. And there are three spots available at that.
2: From how many teams? And
0: again... Ten, So they're divided into three sections. It is going to be seeded. I would expect there's a very good chance the Republic of Ireland, if they were to end up in that situation, would be one of the three seeded t- teams. But you have to go through a semi-final and then a final, depending on how the draw works out and seedings and all of that. And then three teams will come through from there. So potentially you could have three more matches in the group stage and you could have to play four playoff games to qualify for the World Cup. And... What makes it particularly complicated is, obviously you won't know when you're in all likelihood at different stages as to where you are in the seedings. The easiest thing is to be one of those top three teams. In fact, the easiest thing is to be one of the top two teams. And then you know, if we qualify, if we win our two playoff games, we are in. Anything outside of that, and you're potentially in a situation where you're heading to Australia and New Zealand for a couple of weeks for what's essentially a a warm-up tournament to get the final three places. So... It's it's very difficult at the moment with the way the groups are going. Like the Netherlands, example, at the moment are one of the second-place teams. But you know, you'd expect the Netherlands will go on and win their groups, so then Iceland will drop down. Uh, but it's it's certainly not straightforward. And I know a lot of people are talking about the Finland game at home and that importance, and should that be a game that they look at moving to the Aviva Stadium and look what was done with the Clasico in Spain and how Barcelona were able to market that match and sell it out. And they've sold out their next match as well in the Champions League. I think for the Finland game, you played in Tala and you sell out Tala. And then maybe for a playoff or a playoff final, that's where you go all in. And again, I'm sort of undecided in that. Unless you can guarantee you can sell it out, why bother? Why not? Maybe, maybe that's for down the track. Maybe that's for the next campaign. This one is about qualifying and giving yourself the best possible chance and the players like Tala, they're used to Tala yeah, well, that, maybe having seven and a half thousand and know it's going to sell out. Yeah, Julian,
2: Julian what do you make of that? Because this is definitely going to start becoming more of a topic of conversation about a move to the Aviva. Like listening to Katie McCabe talk about Tala and how well the performances are there and what the atmosphere is like. Um, I I definitely see the benefit of having 25,000 kids at a game at the Aviva, but I also see the benefit of winning in Tala. So what's your take on it? Uh,
4: Personally, I think um, we should stick with Tala at the moment. Um, Like, that's been our our home ground for the last couple of years. And um, I think, like, as you mentioned, the players are are used to that pitch, used to the stadium, the surroundings, um, like, Obviously it'd be amazing to, to play at the Aviva, but I don't think it's the right time yet. Um I think the, the game should be played in Tala and then um uh, like potentially in, in the future look at the Aviva. But um yeah, tala
2: for me. Yeah, it's um it's you know, not like us to get carried away after a one all draw <laughs> away from home where we're like, let's sell out the Aviva. We <laughs> haven't even qualified for the tournament just yet. No, but, no.
1: Yeah,
2: that's the whole point of being a sports fan, we're allowed to get carried away, particularly yeah. this morning. Um <laughs> Last one for you, Ash. Uh, were there many Ireland fans over, those who did make the trip? You were, um, none of them were too confident apart from the seven-year-old you were talking about yesterday. <laughs> yeah. in, in the aftermath, were they hanging around? I guess you didn't get out of the stadium until quite late.
3: Yeah, we were quite late getting out, but uh, we met them all beforehand. They, they were brilliant, weren't they? Yeah. They, they all yeah, waited lovely. around the square um, in Gothenburg. It was actually pretty amazing. And we got a football out mm-hmm. and we all kicked around for a little while. We did a keep you up challenge. Julianne was pretty good. Um then there was some Swedish that got involved as well and and she, you should have seen them. They're actually exceptional. There were some girls that rocked up and they didn't even put their handbags down and they just
4: started playing football and like they literally were were exceptional, weren't they? Yeah, no, it just showed like the culture of women's football in Sweden is massive. Mm. Like they were just kinda of off the street, like still in their sunglasses and yeah, handbags, just said
3: past the and off they went. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so all the Irish fans were in with them as well and there was just a really great atmosphere we met so many that come to all of the games and yeah they, they travelled to the away games as well which is, is brilliant it's not easy to do that and uh, there was a little girl there Kate as well uh, she was amazing she actually had trained with the Sweden team she was telling us all about that as well um, she was from Drogheda I think it was and um, yeah, so it was just great to, to get to meet
2: them all. All right, good
0: stuff. We'll Jer, we should mention before you let them go, Jair, we did take a major risk sending Julianne over to cover this match. Julianne was actually on standby for the squad.
2: <laughs> Luckily, nobody <laughs> got injured or got COVID. <laughs> but uh, I mean, for us, obviously for you, you were kind of... It I would know, have been one of the great stories. <laughs>
4: I know, I know I had the boots in my hand luggage just in case. Yeah, we were waiting for half time, weren't
2: yeah. we? Good stuff. Thanks a million for uh, for joining us uh, live from Gothenburg Airport, as everybody can hear in the background there. And my thanks to the cleaner for being a starring member of the uh, show this morning as well. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. And a reminder, of course, that all of our coverage of the Republic of Ireland versus Sweden is with thanks to Sky, proud partner of the women's national team. Out Believe Together and We Can Go Anywhere. Coverage is with thanks to Sky, proud partner of the women's national team. Um, Nathan, let's talk a little bit more about, very briefly, some of the other stuff that has uh, been going on. Um, the Kinnahan story, we're going to come back to a little bit later on. The front cover, if you've missed it, of The Sun This Morning is Wanted and it's the three Kinahans and a wanted poster. Uh, and it turns out they're now wanted, of course, by the American government. Um, an in- incredible bombshell press conference yesterday. Bob Arum is going to be uh, on Newstalk Breakfast this morning at about five past eight. We'll play a clip of that in the next hour. But he's basically saying he's cutting ties with, uh, with the Kinhens. We should go back to the Champions League, though, because uh, last night... I think Thomas Tuchel, even in defeat, did his reputation no end of good. Despite the fact he's a Champions League winner, there were some questions in the English media about this season and what's going on and the limp performance of the team in the first leg. But a very different team selection from him last night. Brave in many respects, completely rewarded and very unfortunate not to knock Real Madrid out in the Bernabeu.
0: Oh, this is one of these great Champions League games that we just take for granted, that every Tuesday, Wednesday night of a knockout stage, you're going to get an absolute classic. And one of those that by the end of the game, you completely forget as to what had happened and who had scored at the start of the match. It feels like so long ago, uh, Chelsea were brilliant. How they did not go through, they will be cursing themselves for that absolute lapse in the first leg where they put together the worst half an hour, 45 minutes that they've had under Thomas Tuchel and allowed Karen Benzema to come in score a hat-trick and it felt like kill the tie but they came out as you say with just this brilliant attitude they were relentless like the energy the little bit of confidence maybe they picked up against Southampton at the weekend and it was brave like Ruben Loftus-Cheek was not a player a lot of Chelsea fans might have expected to see start in a game of this magnitude but you know the uh, physicality that he was able to bring the energy he was able to bring a thought Kovacic who I'm I'm never quite sure of as a player was exceptional Kante just ran the show and then Timo Werner Timo Werner, you felt that was maybe Timo Werner's moment to finally be the hero had the entire Real Madrid defence on their arses as he just shimmied his way through Uh, but Madrid it it was too open, I think Chelsea were so all in, they just couldn't kill it then, they couldn't revert to actually, we just need to hold on to possession here, we just need to slow it right down we need to be as dull as we possibly can and then Luka Modric stepped up and John Giles tomorrow night is just going to be a 10 minutes soliloquy in honour of the great Luca Modric because that was one of the all-time passes. The more you watch it, the more you realise just how simple a finish it was then because of the genius of the spin that he was able to put on that ball at that time. So it's one of those that Chelsea, I don't think, lose any face at all in going out at the moment to that Madrid side. And I suspect that Manchester City, if Manchester City can go through tonight, are probably a little bit happier to be facing Real Madrid than they are to be facing Chelsea in a semi-final
2: because you think that they match up better against Real Madrid than they do against this Chelsea side and obviously there's there's uh, ghosts from uh, very recent, previous encounters uh, against Chelsea. Yeah,
0: I think they will feel that they can do what Chelsea did last night as well in terms of the energy and being able to outrun and outpass and outplay uh, Real Madrid. Now, that's not trying to do down Real Madrid, who Carlo Ancelotti you've discussed is somehow constantly getting the very best and but a midfield of Modric, Casemiro, Kroos, that they you can't write them off. You can't say that they're still not at a level because of what they did last night. But I think Manchester City's midfield will feel that they could really get at them. And if you can somehow keep Benzema quiet, which Chelsea did for long periods last night, you would have City as strong favourites. But then you'd have City as favourites to beat pretty much anybody. And would you be at the same time shocked if Atletico Madrid pulled off one of their moments and Pep Guardiola's outraged and there's a bit of scrap on the sideline and it's all kicking off at the end of this as City somehow go out in controversy against Atletico Madrid.
2: No, the That'd script is... You, we've seen that script like around Man City and around Pep uh, and around Atletico. So it would not be a complete shock if if that was to happen. Um, let's just tease out a little bit more about some of the decisions that he made. The, um, the Werner like Werner has become a figure of fun on this show because uh, Owen predicted that he was going to come good and actually you know what maybe he's right maybe maybe Werner's about to go on one of those streaks
0: Oof. Timo Werner's been about to go on one of those streaks since day one he's a very predictable player now I said that having him as I say put the entire Real Madrid defence on his arse as everyone expected him to take the shot take the shot but the type of chances that Chelsea create like all great teams are often quite similar you always know when Timo Werner is going to strike and it's why so often I think his shots are blocked or the keeper can make a comfortable save and it must be just so ingrained in him the lack of goals the lack of confidence he wasn't the hero last night in the end he got a goal that'll be quickly forgotten about in the annals of Chelsea history he won't forget and it though he won't, Look,
2: but I but we, we've
0: had too many false stones with Timo Werner. It well, was a great show of faith, and it was, I'm sure, down to his energy levels as much as anything. Like, it's a right kick in the ass uh, at the same time, from Chelsea's point of view, for... Havertz. Uh, well, Havertz is there, but like Lukaku and players like this who well, know, gone, aren't getting the opportunity. If
2: Tuchel stays, if the new owners and Tuchel agree on a shared vision for the future, then Lukaku's gone in the summer, right? Uh, probably
0: it'll be a massive loss. You would expect but they paid a hundred million quid. Oh, Newcastle. Come oh, no, Newcastle. To, biggest disappointment of the season. Uh, Pulisic is the one who you feel often comes in in the big games. Like they've so many options up front with Pulisic and Ziyech and like all these top teams, they're doing a lot of rotation. Maybe they're doing too much rotation uh, that they have never been able to figure out what their best attacking force is. And if Timo Werner could get into the sort of form that got him the move in the first place, yeah, there's definitely a place for him in that, and maybe a new manager. Or maybe Thomas Tuchel tries to change things. He gets a different type of striker to lead the line, and Thomas Tuchel can play just often. But you know, I don't think Thomas Tuchel at this stage is going to be the long, long-term answer for for Chelsea. Like Mason Mount was exceptional again, and he, like you don't think Lukaku is going to, to be the long-term answer?
2: Side. Sorry, or, or Tuchel.
0: I don't think Lukaku. Sorry, I don't think is going to be the long
2: the long-term answer.
0: Or t- sorry, I don't think Timo Werner is going to be the long-term answer, but. Uh, either of them uh, <laughs> but as you say Lukaku whether they can just leave a 100 billion pound player sitting on the bench for a couple of seasons probably seems uh, a little bit unlikely but they've got a lot of depth there and they were just brilliant to watch at times it was such such an entertaining game uh, and the semi-finals are going to be the exact same
2: Did you Were you feeling sorry for Chelsea at that at the end of that game?
0: A little bit a little bit sorry
2: for them they, they, they couldn't
0: have done much more uh, even even in the last 3-4 minutes of extra time they were still pounding away they did a couple of decent chances the Jorginho opportunity where he spun on it and was probably a little bit rash uh, with the body that was a big chance as well but like, this is what Madrid do this is what Carlo Ancelotti does in knockout football
2: he just finds a way yeah, until you're 3-0 up, and then Carlo will uh, not know what to do with his team. I mean, look, let's, let's just move the time jets ago. on the... It's a long, it's a long time ago. There's a, there's a lot of love in here for, for Carlo Ancelotti, who's always had the best team with the most money and the best players. It's does, like he, fair does he have the best team.
0: team right now? Does he have the best team right now? Does he have a better starting eleven than Chelsea do?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. he's got it. Yeah, he does. Like, the he does. And... Uh, and he's, he's at Real Madrid who've won the competition 13 times and I don't care what anybody says but that, that stuff seems to matter for whatever reason well, Chelsea, I don't know Chelsea, what it Chelsea is
0: Chelsea won
2: it last year they did yeah but um, look I, I don't think I, I, do you think Carlo Ancelotti is as good as Jurgen Klopp? I
0: think he's a very different manager is to good? Jurgen Klopp I don't think he's as good as Jurgen Klopp okay. right yeah, now but enough, he so. has uh, had yeah, a consistent level yeah. of success but like. where's the comparison what, what is the comparison that but who is, who is the manager Real Madrid should have that is the ah, look, But is on the I, level of Jurgen Klopp?
2: Well, Vincenzo Del Bosque. You know, uh, who else won? Um, did Del Bosque win back-to-back Champions Leagues and then get booted out? Do you know, it's like... Let's not overrate sometimes the value of the manager when you've got Modric and Cruz and Benzema and Vinicius and David Alaba. Just saying, that's all. Ono um, Sullivan says, Sorry, but Kante was at fault for the two Madrid goals. Uh, Connor says no, Jarrell do not have a better team than Chelsea. Is Angola Kante reaching the point where he's not actually capable of being uh, Was full he at fault for both of them? Uh, uh, one I of
0: the think... angles one of the angles that make it look like maybe he was the cop, but it was uh, whether he, it was his fault at the pass went straight to Madrid or whether it was the passers' fault, I'm not sure. Uh he was also instrumental in everything good, I thought, that Chelsea did in an attacking sense. Uh you know, is he being caught out of position? Like they didn't have Jorginho, maybe more has been expected of him. Maybe he's got used to having Jorginho alongside him a lot of the time and him being the one who'll cover and just sit back. Uh, but I thought when he was on the ball, Kante was brilliant. And there was also again, much like you know, there's such fine margins in the Champions League, like Marcus Alonso's handball, like that's not given it's always going to be given because it's not one of those rules where there's any debate for VAR if the goal scorer the ball touches his hand in any way it's automatically a free kick but it was so harsh and you know Manchester City have fallen foul of similar scenarios in, in big matches like, these margins are tight I think Alonso that goal counts there's no question Chelsea win that game it's
2: um, a millimetre if, if Tuchel for whatever reason becomes available in the summer um, how high is the stock at the moment?
0: incredibly high for a number of reasons firstly the way he transformed chelsea when he came in the way he got them into a uh, champions league winning team he can't have done himself any harm with how he's handled himself over the last couple of months with everything that's gone on at chelsea uh at, so like he will have his pick of the best clubs in the world you're saying he should go in at real madrid ahead of carlo ancelotti that they would get rid of this guy after he leads them to yet another champions, back to league, back to title. champions league so yeah. wasting wasting their time with this guy uh, boot him out and gets Tuchel in. Tuchel, whatever job, whatever big job, he obviously won't go back to Paris Saint-Germain, you'd expect, but does he just stay at Chelsea and does he buy the sign? Is he next in line at Manchester City? Is he next in line at Liverpool?
2: It's hard to know, isn't it? I I guess so much depends on how much money the new owners are going to be willing to put in and what kind of level of autonomy he has in terms of um, squad building and team building and how much of the backroom team ends up being... uh, associated with the previous ownership and their regime because they were all reporting to um, whoever was working for Bramovic. So I don't know. It, it, it's up for grabs, I suppose. And Does he go to Bayern Munich? Uh, perhaps. Is it would always be a, perhaps. A, a
0: natural enough home for him?
2: We should talk a little bit about that because Villarreal are through, Bayern are out. This is not, I think, what people expected. It's not a massive surprise. Villarreal, obviously, have been successful in Europe and I, I think we see the value of a a long, deep run in European football over a couple of seasons and um, getting good at winning knockout football matches. But the manner in which they did it, it's like them who scored the late winner to go through as opposed to Bayern, where it feels inevitable that the German team, Bayern Munich, have come from 1-0 down, they're at home, all the advantages are in their favour, but they get caught out.
0: Well, I was probably like a lot of people screen hopping between the two of them. And whenever you turned over, it was Bayern on the attack. Uh, maybe much like Sweden last night, just a lot of possession, a lot of possession. And the ball will be with Sané and you're waiting for Sané or Gnabry or somebody to do something. And then they try and take on the fullback and they'd end up just running it out of play. And nothing was quite happening for them. But I flicked over just in time for the Real winner. And you're looking at the scoreline thinking, why are Bayern Munich so far up the pitch? Like let this go to extra time, use all your experience, use the fact that you have a far better and deeper squad and just beat them in extra time. But they were going all out clearly to try and win the game in normal time by Munich and got stung on the counter-attack by Villarreal. And the story of Villarreal is uh, well spoken about at this stage. A small town but able to compete at the very, very top level, winning Europa League, backing it up by getting to a Champions League semi-final. It's only in maybe this part of the world where there are questions about Unai Emery because of what happened at Arsenal. But this is some body of work that he has managed uh, to put together and it's one of those now where if Liverpool can get through tonight everyone says well you've had Benfica you've had Villarreal you couldn't have had a more straightforward uh, route to a Champions League final but real have that consistency of causing upsets like they've just gone and done it against the Bayern Munich side who play somewhat similar to Liverpool in that they won't have all the ball and they've gone about the business signing players in a you know with experienced players who've gone to England much like Unai Emery who've gone to England and it hasn't quite happened for, and who were probably written off a little bit, but ended up going to England in the first place because they'd had a brilliant run in their team and got big moves, whether it's a Giovanni Lo who actually I thought was one of Tottenham's uh, better players over the last couple of years and had done quite well. Uh, like They signed Dan Juma. Like he's one of the real stories coming in from Bournemouth last summer where he absolutely lit up the championship last season. Sort of thought he'd end up at one of the top Premier League teams. They go in and they get him. Like Pau Torres decided to turn down Spurs during the summer. Or so, I'm sure Tottenham fans are looking at him going, Who is this guy? You know, never really got a chance at Tottenham. So, he has pulled together. I wouldn't, it's too harsh to say they're a group of misfits, but he is a manager who's clearly able to work with any group and bring them on a level once he's given a bit of time.
2: Is there anything in what happened last night that gives Liverpool a little bit of pause? and concern that there's a strong chance they'll be a little bit complacent as you would naturally be as a human being with a significant lead at home one of those great European nights blah 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 we're going to cruise through this. Benfica aren't a team of mugs they're not the best team we've ever seen coming from Portugal playing in the Champions League not even the best team that we've seen come from Portugal in the Champions League in the last decades. not to go all the way back to Mourinho but is there any, any bit of them looking at oh Real Madrid had this game totally sewn up against Chelsea and Villarreal well they shouldn't really be beating Bayern but it's okay we're going to be grand because they haven't been great in these situations as in they've allowed teams to score against them in these very same situations in Europe and you're like they make a bit more of a game of this than they need to well at this time of the
0: season when there are so many big matches you think about when these fixtures are coming so Liverpool tonight they play Benfica at the weekend, they play Manchester City. Next Tuesday, they play Manchester United. The following weekend, they play Everton. Then they will play, if they win tonight, Villarreal. So if they keep winning those games, the Premier League is just going to be absolutely relentless. So maybe there is a slight taking your eye off the ball. Like Liverpool, they're rarely complacent, though at times in games, they seem to have 10, 15-minute spells where they get a little bit sloppy and they allow teams to score. And Liverpool can't afford the way they play it, the high line the real high press that if they get sloppy they're always going to give up an awful lot of chances because suddenly players are breaking the offside trap and that's how most of the opportunities come against Liverpool. It's a Champions League semi-final. Are you going to be complacent in a Champions League semi-final? Villarreal are there for a reason. So they will bite you in the ass
2: if you let them. So I'm talking about the Benfica game tonight. Ah, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think. I don't, think, right, I don't think they're going to be against Villarreal. But I think. Like, I think two 0 up. Like, can you see a scenario where it's nil all? And Benfica score in the 60th minute. Uh, no, I think
0: Liverpool will. I think Liverpool will score. I, I. I think Villarreal are a different level to Benfica, and that third goal, like that third goal, was such a game changer from a Liverpool point of view. In that, I'd imagine they will make changes.
2: Well, how many, not not yeah.
0: substantial changes. I would expect Diaz will come in and start. Um, probably a change in midfield. Thiago played last week as well, so you'd expect that Thiago will drop out. Maybe Curtis Jones comes in or Nabi and plays a lot of the big games in Europe. Maybe even two of the midfielders uh, swap out. A bit of rotation at the back. kanate might start again instead of Matip. That's probably it. One of the front three. Maybe he takes a real risk and brings Firmino in and drops two of the front three. But City at the weekend is going to be a, a rotational game as well, even if it is a cup semifinal. Do you think so? I think so. You've got Manchester United coming on Tuesday night in yeah, the Premier League. But, yeah. again. But Liverpool, because of the depth, like rotation is a different thing for them now. You know They're not bringing in Nat Phillips at the back as a bit of rotation. Like Kanat has been exceptional every time he's come in. In those positions, like, there's not a huge difference from one to the other. Yeah, you want Mane and Salah, but a Firmino or a Jota or a Diaz, there's no great difference in quality or impact on the team from any of them. Likewise, the midfield three. Like, Thiago suddenly become a big game player for them. But if it's Chieta or Jones or even Elliott, who are inside alongside Henderson and Fabinho, I mean, Fabinho seems to play almost every match, unless they decide to play Henderson a bit deeper for one of them. But that's that's what they've done with two or three key signings of players who can make an impact. Maybe Chimikas starts one of the games at left-back over the next week. I'd be, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he started on Saturday as well. So, like, they have that bit of depth that they've never had before where like real depth where there's not a dip in quality do you take by Salah making the out, changes
2: Do you take Salah for at least one maybe two of these games if you're focusing you decide on something further down the line?
0: I think he, Salah probably step out for one of these matches yeah okay. absolutely uh, but they none of these guys end up missing too many games we sort of talk about rotation and do a, a week off they don't, they don't seem to want or need a week off They just seem their body just seems to need games like they're not training, I'm sure. It's only when I was sitting in the press conference after the game on Sunday and Pep Guardiola almost seemed delirious. You know, from I mean, He's just done an hour of interviews and he's just been through the intensity of that game and he was talking about tonight's match against Atletico. And it's only then you sit and you realise he's like, it's tough on players, tough on managers. When that game finishes Sunday evening, he's leaving the stadium at nine ten o'clock, probably going back home. I know he's an obsessive and it's everything he wants, but you get in Monday morning. What can you do with the players on Monday morning? Very little. They've got to recovery session you probably run through some tactics for Atletico briefly then they fly out you get a quick session in yesterday morning at the stadium again you can't do anything intense and then it's match day like, there is no time at all for training for, it's just maintaining fitness Who, how quickly and how concisely can you get your tactics across and just relentless big games Like it must be incredibly draining when you come to the end of the season to just go oh, how did we get through that
2: uh, okay, so look, we obviously have plenty of time to talk a bit more about those uh, matches in the coming days and we'll be analysing tonight's games on tomorrow's show. Uh, it's eight minutes past eight this morning. We want to talk a little bit about this. Kenny Shields has gone viral. Not great when you're the manager of a, a football team you're gone viral after your team gets beaten 5-0 and it's not about your performance on the field of play. So Kenny Shields manages the women's team in the North. Uh, beaten 5-0 by England last night. Uh, they have qualified for the Euros and uh, so it's a big summer for women's football um, in Northern Ireland. Let's have a listen to what Kenny Shields had to say about teams' propensity to concede goals quickly. Have a listen.
1: I thought they were struggling a wee bit at times to open us up until the psychology of going 2-up uh, in the women's game you'll have noticed, I'm sure you will, if you go through the patterns, when a team concedes a goal, they concede a second one within a very short period of time. Right through the whole lot the whole spectrum of the women's game, because girls and women are more emotional than men, so they take a goal gun in they they don't take that very well. So if you watch you go through the stats, which journalists love to do going through stats and you'll see teams conceding goals in 18 and 21 minutes and then in 64 and 68 minutes they group them because that's an emotional goal so we conceded in 48 3 and uh, 7 minutes was it or 3 and 9 on on Friday and we were conscious of that when we went 1-0 down we killed the game tried to just slow it right down because to give them time to get that emotional imbalance out of their head, and and that's a that, that's an issue we have not just Northern Ireland but all the countries of that problem.
2: Oh uh, Kenny, what what are you uh, talking I, about?
0: I read these quotes late last night, uh,
2: but Jesus when you hear Christ. it,
0: it's it's ten times worse.
2: I mean, sort out the emotional imbalance. This. This is dinosaur stuff. Um, uh, Get your get your pretty little woman's head around the fact that you've conceded a goal there, girls. Uh, And if you don't do that, you need to what? What I like? It's always one step forward, two steps back. Um,
0: It is, and this, listen, Kenny Shields is going to you know, face a very difficult few days and and rightly so. And Northern Ireland, as you mentioned, have qualified for the European Championship Finals. This should be a period of real huge opportunity for the women's game in the North. And this is all anyone is going to be talking about. And, you know, I think Kenny Shields' position as manager is certainly going to come into question over the next couple of days because it is absolute dinosaur stuff. Like Journalists love stats
2: maybe, so, maybe well,
0: it's your here's that like look at Southampton on Sunday on Saturday in the Premier League conceded four goals in the first half
2: an hour of the game Sadio Mane scored a hat-trick against Villa in four and a half five minutes one time Nigel Clough scored a hat-trick for uh, was it for Liverpool in four minutes was that the record before that like I, I mean maybe you're just a shit coach Kenny maybe that's the problem maybe your problem is that you don't actually understand how to stop a team conceding more than once because you haven't coached them properly did you ever think of that definitely not his fault though. Could not possibly be anything to do with him or a man because apparently having a penis prevents you from conceding goals quickly.
0: Listen, England are one of the best teams in the world but they can do that against absolutely anybody as any great team can do. So how you come up with that theory and by the sounds of it it's a theory that he has spoken about with other people. Like He was talking about it in a way of we all know this. Don't we all know this? You've we all, all checked. You've all checked all this. Yeah. You've all. You've all watched. You've all watched the women's game before. You. We all know it. Once one goes in. Another one's probably going to go in. Yeah. Like, guys. Like, we don't have it in the men's
2: game. Like just. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is. Uh, but it shows. It shows the fight that is still there. And you know when you, I. But he's in charge. You were talking about he's Ireland. He's in and, charge.
2: He's in charge uh, of an sorry. entire country. But, he's in. Ch- well. I mean. Yeah. Okay. That's sorry. He's in charge of an entire international team. <laughs> does does spark another uh,
0: controversy, there Chair. yes, uh, no, he like he has to be the absolute leader of uh the women's game in Northern Ireland, and if that is the viewpoint of the manager who is going to represent them at a at, at, a, at a European championships, it's going to be at a n- level of interest that we've never seen before. Like if you're now involved in Northern Ireland football and you're involved in dealing with sponsors, and you know, like every press conference now during the summer when they go. This massive tournament where okay they might be the biggest underdogs there. Like this is all anyone's gonna to want to talk about. Like this is you're that guy. You're that guy who's gonna give them the quote that'll do down the women's game. So I I I think Kenny Shields is gonna struggle over the coming days to keep hold of that job because as you say, it's just absolute, absolute stone age stuff. Like, what if you're a player in that dressing room well that's it, you you it? listening to that that is and what, have listen, what have you been listening- what have you been here beforehand and, if, and look, if you're
2: saying that publicly yeah and the other thing is one other side of this is that actually that, that there is clearly there are there's obviously a population of dinosaurs still involved in i guess in all sports um but uh to be able to rise to that position and think like that and feel comfortable enough expressing these views um uh, and not have somebody challenge them along the way, like, you know, and also just a deep understanding, a deep failure to understand how uh, stats work. Like, I've I've discovered this piece of information and so therefore I I decree that it is because of this thing which I've just made up in my head. Like, this thing over here and these things over here, I'm putting these two together and I'm turning them into a, an infallible theory of why women concede goals close to each other in football matches. Uh, come at me, lads, come on, come on, come at me, because come on, Kenny.
0: And I'm sure people will go and look at the stats, and if there is a statistic that lots of goals are conceded quickly, the main reason is the disparity that is there in the women's game at international level between the top and the bottom because of the investment that has been made in progressive countries and the lack of investment that has been made in countries like Northern Ireland and up until recently in the Republic of Ireland, and to flip right back to Sweden, you were talking about where the
2: football associations uh, have been run by dinosaurs for like basically, exactly um, basically since the split.
0: Exactly, and you know you touched on Ireland. Should we expect more? It felt a bit like what we've seen from Irish teams for decades of one all away from home, sitting back, holding out. But the reason that's there with Sweden is that. You know, Sweden have a 25-year, maybe a 40-year head start on Ireland when it comes to the women's game and how they treat it. they qualified for every World Cup. Sweden and Ireland played their first international fixture pretty much the same year. Pretty much the same year, yet it was another 20-something years before the FAI recognised the women's game and they became a part of it. While in Sweden, the investment has been there consistently, so they have a base and a body of work that enables them to be one of the best teams in the world, where in the last three years, we've finally gotten on going, ah actually, maybe we should spend some money in this. And the great advantage for Ireland is that while there are Swedens out there, an awful lot of countries still haven't copped onto this. So there's a big, a huge opportunity still for the FAI over the coming years and for the FAI and for government to invest yeah. in the women's game and invest substantially and make Ireland one of the best teams in the world who qualify for every single tournament, who qualify for every European Championship, who qualify for every World Cup. And that can be done. That right. can be done just by investing lots and lots of money. So... Yeah, there's a long, as much as we're patting everyone on the back, there's a long way to go and lots of parts of it. And Kenny Shields,
3: dear God.